Around 1440 AD, a man in Mainz, Germany, developed what some would say was the greatest innovation in history. This innovation was not the first of its kind. Others had been around for years. However, this innovation was the most standardized, reusable, reproducible of its kind. Johannes Gutenberg had been seen other printing presses, but he had the idea of making the type movable so that whole pages could be quickly laid out and printed. He used molds for the type so that each letter could be quickly reproduced from lead, alloy, and was interchangeable with other presses. And by 1500, over 1,000 presses were operating in Europe, and by 1600, over 200 million books had been printed. Historians say that the printing press, Gutenberg's press, it played a key role in the development of the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Age of Enlightenment, and the Scientific Revolution, and laid the material basis for the modern knowledge-based economy and the spread of learning to the masses. Mark Twain would later write, what the world is today, good and bad, it owes to Gutenberg. One man's innovation changed the world as we know it. Good day, Journey. Despite rumors of his demise, our lead pastor, Brian Hopkins, is in fact still alive, (laughs) to the best of our knowledge. Um, He and his wife, Dana, are still in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He asked us to convey that they are so grateful for your prayers and that that your prayers are what has sustained them during this very difficult time that they've been going through in the Congo. Um, And asked us to just continue with those prayers and continue praying for them. So I want us together right now to do that. So pray with me. Father, we, we miss our leader, our friend, our pastor, And we lift Brian and Dana up to you. We ask that you protect them. We ask especially that you protect their spirits, that you would uh, be on their family too. Father, we ask that you hold them in your arms and let this be a time of digging deep with you, that you would be walk with them through this, that you would be comforting them, you would be laying the way, you would be giving them direction in what they need to do and how to uh, follow you out of this. We ask that you that, We ask that they come home quickly so they can be with their family and they can live into your calling. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in a series called I Dare You because for the last nine months, our leadership team here at Journey has been wrestling with who we are as a church and what our future looks like. We are a young church that has grown very fast. And we're much like a middle school boy who all of a sudden has arms and legs much longer and ganglier than what they're used to, and they're not always sure where they are. And I can say this because I have two middle school boys at home. And so it's, they're all arms and legs, and they're kind of all over the place, and they knock stuff over inadvertently. And, and so we're trying to kind of reel ourselves in, and we've taken some time to consider what God has called us to. And how do we focus on that and and become all that God wants out of our family here? And so the leadership team has adopted four core values that we believe that God has called us to focus on for the next several years. 
And and core values are lenses that we allow to shape how we think and how we view what we do and the decisions that we make. Derry Long began with the Imago Dei and, and how each of us bears the image of God. And living into that image bearer identity is what God is really calling to us throughout Scripture. And when we realize that every person that we come in contact with, every person born is, is also is an image bearer with us. It affects how we see him or her and therefore how we treat them. We treat them with greater respect because we know what God has called them, can, can, can call out of them if they let him. We know that. And so we treat all people with respect. Bob Schwann brought us through all-out mobilization and living into what God is calling each of us to do. And he gave us each a poker chip and asked us to go all in. And then after poker, we talked about uncommon generosity with Chris Townley. Just to balance that out, I thought that would be a good follow-up. And then this week, we're talking about focused innovation. So Sam and I are up here talking about that. We think that if Brian were here, we probably would have arm wrestled him for this message this weekend. And I, I, I we would have won. I mean, it's yep, pretty yep. clear. He doesn't work out at all. He doesn't have time. So we're both going to trade off speaking on innovation and what innovation is and why we do it here at Journey and why we think it has kingdom value and helps our church connect to the heart of God. Innovation, by definition, is the application of new solutions that meet new needs or more effectively address existing needs. This is accomplished through utilizing more effective products, processes, services, technologies, or the ideas that are available. Now, when we're talking about this with other members of our team, we discovered that innovation is an often misunderstood term. Many people equate innovation with creativity, but creativity is the actual creation of something new and original. And Brandon's going to address creativity in uh, in a little bit, but innovation is the strategic application of something new and original within a specific context. Now, I know that's very heady words. It sounds like Gary talking, doesn't it? I can hear his voice in my head. In other words, being innovative does not mean creating something new. It's doing something differently for the sake of a better outcome. It may mean using someone else's idea, stealing it, and applying it to what you're doing to improve whatever you're doing. It can also mean reevaluating an idea, a process, a belief, or anything really to determine if it still holds true, it still applies, or if it is still the best way. Allow me to illustrate. Earlier, my wonderful and beautiful wife, April, asked those of you who had smartphones or smart devices to acquire the YouVersion Bible app. Go ahead and and open that up right now. Look, there's Alex's phone. (laughs) Go ahead, Alex, open it up. There we go. All right, he's reading Proverbs 4. So go ahead and click on the menu here and, and scroll down in here to live and then do search for a live event. Boom, Journey Church. Click on that one. 
All right. We're about to be here. So your notes page is there. You can take your own notes if you want. And you can follow along and you can reference those notes later. Now, why do this? It allows you to personalize this experience and you can follow along with us. And you can have your own notes and reflections with you all the time. And it also introduces you to a great app. And hopefully, you'll start reading your Bible more, which is always a good thing. And we couldn't really, you know, preach on innovation without doing something innovative, right? So anyway, there you go. So you can follow along. We say focus innovation because we do not do things for the sake of innovation alone. Brandon and I really like techie things. If you didn't notice, know this. Um, we get very excited about cool stuff. That's who we are. Now, Brandon got really excited this week. Yeah, I want to tell him. You want to tell him? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so my wife, who knows me the best, obviously, she sent me this email, and it was a link to uh, a news article. Oh, man, I'm so excited. And uh, basically, this is real, okay? I just, want to set, I just want to start that by saying this is true, Okay. Scientists have actually discovered, physicists have actually discovered how to create the technology to create real lightsabers, real lightsabers, Star Wars, real lightsabers, okay? So I'm not kidding, like it goes that long, it's a lightsaber, oh man, I'm so excited. Okay, gotta move on. It'll cut arms off and everything and, and fit in your pocket. So anyway, I told you, we like techie things, that's who we are, but however, when it comes to how we do things around journey, we don't just let get the latest shiny thing. We have actually said no to things because we didn't feel it fit our culture. That it would be that, because we weigh everything that we incorporate here to make sure that it better facilitates people connecting with God because that's what we're here for. We're not here to do cool stuff. Though it's fun sometimes and we do fun things just because they're fun. But we weigh it. How does it fit with our culture? How does it mesh? How does it uh, build up the kingdom? And so if we believe that God has called us to be mobilized, as Bob Schwann preached about a couple of weeks ago, then it's in an, that it is our role to transmit gospel meaning into our culture, which is the people that are around us and in the context in which we live then we're going to have to be innovative. And we want to look at a passage of, about the Apostle Paul, a passage of Scripture that shaped how we view the ministry of the church and how we go about it because it perfectly illustrates the need for us to be innovative as we are living out what God has called us to do. So this is Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 22. And Paul is standing in, Athens, and he's before a court because he's in a little bit of trouble because he's been saying some wild ideas like there's only one God and stuff. But so he says, men of Athens, I noticed that you were very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Now, Paul could have taken this opportunity to rail against them for being idolaters. 
But instead, he decided to be innovative. He engaged their culture. It is in our human nature to fear and therefore reject anything that is different from us. We cling to the status quo and what we are familiar with. It makes us uncomfortable when we're faced with something that is in conflict with what we know or even the chance of change. Paul was one of the most educated men of his time. He was a Hebrew theologian before Christ. He had studied under Gamaliel, who was brilliant. He knew the law. He knew, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and, or thou shalt not have any graven image or idol. Yet here he is in the city of idols. He's literally surrounded by tens of thousands of them. But he does not start off with what they are doing wrong. He starts with what they're doing right. Look at this. Paul acknowledges their effort at trying to please God and starts with what they know and are familiar with and turns it to focus on what is true. He takes the statue to build built to honor the unknown God and gives identity to the God that they don't know. He even tells them that they are worshiping him. The, worshiping him, the one true God without knowing it. Now, there's a whole theological can of worms right there that we could talk about. That they were worshiping God that they did not know about. But we're going to skip that. What was Paul's mission? Was he there to inform them that they were wrong or to introduce them to Jesus? Paul decided to look at them with God's heart through the lens of Christ's mission and met the Athenians where they were. And so we demonstrate focused innovation when we are engaging people where they are. We don't get them to come to us. We go where they are. And Journey Church has always operated from the belief that we should make it as easy as possible for people to find God. Christianity has not traditionally operated from this stance, and much of it still does not. Let's look at that Acts 17 passage again. And look at where Paul starts. He says, men of Athens. Now, this is how Aristotle began his speeches before this very court that Paul is standing before. Remember I said Paul was one of the most educated men of his time? He knows their history. It says, men of Athens. He's being respectful to their past. He doesn't start with tearing them down and telling them how wrong they are. He's building rapport with them because that's what is important. He has to build respect with them so that he can give them gospel meaning because that's more important than being rigid about the law of people who have never been accustomed to the law. Now, let's go to verse 24. He says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands, can't serve his needs. For he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. 
He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Now, the Athenians were accustomed to temples filled with idols, which were representations of gods who were far away. The priests who served those idols demanded sacrifices if you wanted the gods to bless you with something like crops or children, or to keep the gods from becoming angry and bringing something bad against you, you know, pestilence and death and disease and all of these other things. You know, these gods were always taking, wanted more. You had to keep them happy. You had to pacify them. Sounds kind of familiar. But that's not the God we serve. That's their God. Paul says the true God has no needs that we can serve, but that he wants to give to us. Going on, he says, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Remember, they served idols, the representations of gods that they had no clue about, just what priests were telling them. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. Now, Whitney, go back one passage right here. Yep. For in him we live and move and exist. He quotes two of their most well-known poets. And they were significant poets. He takes their art, their creative works, and uses it to help them see Jesus. Now, a culture's creative work is what expresses its values, its yearnings, its aspirations, as well as the resulting gaps when those are not met. And we connect with that and experience something greater and, and bigger than outs and outside of ourselves. He quotes... Epimendes Kritika, when he says, For in him we live and move and exist. This is a poem written about the immortality of Zeus. And then he goes on in, in Eratus' phenomena when he says, As some of your own poets have said, We are his offspring. Guess who that poem was written about? Zeus. Paul takes these poems reassigns the object of their intent, and bam, he gives them redemptive meaning. We now sing worship songs written from this passage. Now, the creative work has been redeemed when we can worship to stuff that was originally was intended for Zeus, but we, the signing has been, the intent has been reassigned, and the creative work has been redeemed. So this is the stuff we get excited about. And this is why we celebrate certain holidays at specific times of year. And some of the ways we engage people where they're at here is through stuff we like, which is the intro song. And sometimes we do videos before and after our worship experience. We will do songs like this week. It was Led Zeppelin. If you're not familiar with Led Zeppelin, that's a song that we did. That's, um, we'll just say it's one of my favorites. I really like Led Zeppelin. <clears throat> We take creative work like that, and then we want people to know that we're travelers in, that, in the culture, and we appreciate our culture. And we look everywhere in our culture and our art for this imprint and presence of God. Like Derry said three weeks ago, every person on earth contains the Imago Dei, 
this image of God. It's one of our four core values, and seeing and honoring the image of God in each person, person we meet is important to us. He's the creator of everything, and every person in the world, each one of us carries the image of God inside of us, who's our divine creator. And so all creativity comes from God. So we have his image and our purpose in this world to use our gifts and talents to glorify him. And glorifying God looks like describing God's character and attributes in our words and our deeds. So that's what glorifying God means, is describing his character, showing him off, basically. And we especially do that in our music and art. We look for God speaking to us in art. We look at culture. We weigh it and test it against the truth of scripture. And we believe God uses it. He's wired us this way to learn from our music and our stories. He speaks to us also through the natural world, but, but again through our culture to teach us who he is. He redeems art to glorify himself. And both Paul and Jesus leveraged their culture in their ministry to describe God's kingdom and God's character. Here's an example I came, I came across recently. Is just, this is from this August of God breaking through in our culture in America and throughout the world. He's using the image of God to speak about himself. And I love this clip. It's a recent CNN interview with the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins, which is a Grammy-winning rock band out of Chicago. So let's watch this together. Um, there's a long-established concept that gets bandied about, which is misery makes for great art. Mm -hmm. And I actually think this is, um, uh, if we were, we were asking a, a Shinto monk, I think they would laugh at this idea. Yeah. Because you're basically saying suffering's good for business, and I don't think suffering's good for business. Crazy's good for business, suffering isn't. I think suffering or the gestalt of here I am ripping my heart open, I, I think that lasts for about two or three albums. Mm. At some point you have to mature into the deeper work. Most people are living lives of sort of survival. And constantly posing an existential crisis, either through fantasy or oblivion, mm. um, really has been pretty much explored in rock and roll, at least in the Western version of rock and roll, maybe not over here uh, in, in Asia, but um, we've sort of kind of been through all that. So what are you exploring now? God. Um, I, was, uh, I once did a, uh, a big American magazine was doing a thing called The Future of Rock. Yeah. And, and you know, they asked 50 artists, what's the future of rock? And my answer was God. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, God's the third rail of, like they say, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Social Security is the third rail of politics in America. Well, God is the third rail in, 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 um, in rock and roll. You're not supposed to talk about God, even though most of the world believes in God. Mm. It's sort of like, uh, don't, don't go there. I think God's the great unexplored territory in rock and roll music. And I actually said that. I thought it was perfectly poised. And of course, they didn't put it in. in well, what would you say to Christian rockers then? Uh, make better music. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, my opinion, I think Jesus would like better bands, you know? <laughs> now I'm going to get a bunch of Christian rock hate mail. <laughs> but that's interesting. Put it this way. Here, here's a better quote. Yeah. Hey, Christian rock, if you want to be good, stop copying U2. U2 already did it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of U2-esque Christian rock. Sure. Bono and company created the template for modern Christian rock, and uh, I like to think Jesus would want us all to evolve. So... When we have a modern, yeah, thank you. We have a modern rock guy quoting Jesus twice in a CNN interview. My, uh, my ears perk up, and I, it's really fun to hear guys talking about that. And it's all over the place. It's happening all the time. So we want to be aware of it. That's one of the things we're about.
He speaks, God speaks to us through people, through art, through relationships, and we leverage that each week here at Journey. Why do you think we, we're drawn to movies about heroes and superheroes? Because it's a reflection of our greatest hero, Christ. Each of us, each of those heroes reflects the character of Jesus. And it moves us. It hits home. It makes us want to do a fist pump. Heroes from our stories are a reflection of who God is. It's the image of God that rings true within each of us. When we see the hero character, and we can all point and say, that is good. All of us, that is right. I love that. I aspire to that. The image of God is all over our art. It's all over our culture. We just have to look for it. God is using art and culture to speak to us, to humans, humanity. We don't want to miss out on what God is doing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, he says, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its ble- his blessings. Do you hear the heart of God in that? God has not called us to judge and rail against our culture, but to engage it. Our culture is where it, some, we could, our culture is where it is because we pulled out of it. He's not even called us to isolate ourselves from it, but to be in it and to find common ground so that we can give people gospel meaning to what they're searching for. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with, as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position as a slave and was born as a human being. Talking about Jesus. God becoming our incarnate through being born as a human being was the most innovative act in history. One that is still changing the world. God wants to redeem the world. That is what he desires. The Westminster Confession states that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God delights in us and did the unthinkable. He became one of us. Now we're starting, when we engage people in, through art and culture and innovation, we're starting on common ground with people. We're taking a place where they feel comfortable. I mean, most of our culture likes Led Zeppelin. It, I mean, what's not to like? And I love that we had a guy in a kilt on stage tonight. I love Alan. And we're, we're taking them in a place where they feel comfortable. They feel familiar. And we can move, then move into greater conversations with them. We plan our weekend worship experiences for the people who are not yet in this room. We want this to be a bridge for them meeting Christ. We want this to be a space where someone who is not sure about Christ to be able to explore who Christ is. In other words, if you're a mature Christ follower, we didn't create this experience just for you. And we assume that since you're a mature Christ follower, that you're on board with that. We don't operate on the premise that we're here to be a social club for Christians, but a space for people to experience Christ, a safe place. That is missional innovation. Now, how do we use that on a personal level? 
We can talk about what Brandon and I do and how we plan and stuff like that all night long. We could go on for hours, I promise. But what, what does it mean to you? Now, I want you to think about someone around you in your life who is not yet a Christ follower. It could be coworker, neighbor, family even. How can you engage them where they are? How can you prayerfully open up conversations with things that are important to them and engage them in those ways? Not to prove them wrong, because you're not going to argue somebody to Jesus, but to allow God to work through you to give gospel meaning to their lives. Here's some ideas. How you can engage people where they are. Invite them to do something fun you both enjoy. Hang out. Now, it could be an activity like hiking, skiing, tennis, going to hear a band, have a beverage. It can be sometimes be awkward if the first activity you do with someone that you don't know well forces solo conversation. Really keep that in mind. Such as, like, to me, the scariest thing in the world is sitting in a coffee shop with someone I don't know. <laughs> I'm much more comfortable right here like this, talking to you like this, than one-on-one with someone I don't know. I, like, I, I say four words and I'm done. I don't know what to say. So having dinner like that or coffee like that for someone I don't know it doesn't always appeal to me. I'd rather go do something fun. So that's what I choose to do. You can do whatever you want, but, you know, but do something fun you both enjoy. No posers. I was a skater in the 80s, so no posers. <laughs> you have to always be real. Don't pretend you're perfect because everybody knows you're not. Let your love for them be shown. Don't hide your struggles, but don't throw your dirty laundry on them either. Like what Billy Corgan said, you know, the uh, stuff only goes so far, you know. You only sell a few albums that way. But be real. Ask them how they're doing, really, and listen. Give them, give them space to be real. Don't be offended what they say. You may not even say anything in response, just listen. If you can, emphasize with the, empathize with them and their struggles. Put yourself in their shoes and relate to them, if at all possible. But don't force it. Don't fake it. Remember, no posers. If it's something that you've worked through, let them know. Yeah, I've worked through that, and here's how. Interact frequently. Don't do it every six months. Once a month. Hey, let's go hang out. Like for me, let's go hear a band. So in our weekend worship experiences at Journey, we try to communicate with people in a way that they're accustomed to be being communicated with. So we use lighting and video. That's part of the reason that we do all of this. We also demonstrate focused innovation when we're creating compelling environments. There's always a reason why we do anything in this room and around Journey, especially when creating an environment for a weekend worship experience from the parking lot to the greeters to the coffee and down to the design of our lobby and worship center and the color of our walls and chairs, we are being intentional about creating environments that communicate the gospel. And we use the stage to create a more compelling environment. Each year we make adjustments to our stage. It keeps things fresh for our, so our people stay connected to our worship and, our, and the speaker on stage. 
We know God wired us to have emotional responses to color. Red, green, yellow, blue, these are colors that communicate emotion and meaning to our church and help us to understand and experience what's being communicated and considered on stage. Color is very important to God in worship. He describes very specific colors when he gave Moses and Aaron the plans for the tabernacle, and each color had a purpose and a meaning. We use our stage design to help communicate what we're trying to say. It's another level of art that we're using to communicate who God is. Are we representing the God of all creativity, the God of every color of the rainbow, who invented color when we use color and light as a part of our worship? Light itself is one of God's metaphors. It describes and illuminates who he is, his creation, his love for us. He is the light in a dark world. So we utilize light and color in our worship. Another way we create compelling environments is through the use of story. Whether it's a story told by one of our hosts, or a video during baptisms, a testimony at Christmas, or another weekend worship experience, we believe the power of story is critical to creating compelling environments. Revelation 12:11 says, and they have defeated him, Satan, defeated Satan by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And we have a culture that loves stories. And not just culture, we as human beings love stories throughout history, and we need stories. We feed on stories. Your brain was designed to engage stories. Stories make the sense to us when random events don't. It's kind of like music where you play, if I were to play a sound of a garbage truck, and then someone hammering on a construction site, and then some kids laughing, that would not get stuck in your head for two weeks like some songs do. But I could get a song melody stuck in your head pretty quick. And they're really the same thing. We're just talking about noise and sound. But sound waves travel too and vibrate your eardrums and your brain interprets it as specific sound. And if you adhere to certain principles, you can make music and the human brain engages music differently than it engages random noise. Story works the same way. If you filter random events through certain principles, you can create a narrative and the human brain engages with a story by the way God has designed us. So story can stick with you, and it's a powerful in helping people connect and how God wired us to live. That's why we feel this cathartic response when we see Braveheart and William Wallace rallies the troops before the big fight scene. God wired us to be brave, and through story, we connect with bravery. We hold it up and say, this is true, this is right. I love this. I am willing to sacrifice for this. When I was growing up, I went to church with my best friend. They asked me to go to church with them. And what was really moving to me at church was the music. There were some really gifted people in that church. And part of that was the preaching was so bad that I just played tic-tac-toe, and then I would sing songs and color in Sunday school, and then we'd go have brunch afterwards. But then later, I was exposed to really good speakers. And they could explain story from the Bible that really helped me connect with God. I, would, I, I knew that he loves me. I knew these things and, and I, that I think are horrible with the world. I learned that God hates them too. And that he's put a plan in action to redeem them. Story tells us that God can take all the hurt and all the pain in our lives and redeem it and make something beautiful. Three years ago, 
<laughs> myself. Three years ago this summer, we were getting ready for our opening weekend worship experiences here at the Commons. So we had just opened this building. This was our opening weekend. And my wife, Stephanie, was pregnant with our second child. And everything was good. We'd heard the heartbeat. Steph was in her 12th week, and we were super excited. Uh, everything that was happening and that we were opening the building. But then two weeks before the weekend, my wife lost the baby. And that was hard. And it was hard for me to accept God that that God did that and allowed that, and it broke me. And my wife is really tough, and she was up here leading worship with me that weekend. And even while all of that was happening inside of her body, it was some of the worst emotional pain in my life. And the hardest part was that I knew that I had to deal with God, that I had to turn to him, even though part of me was so hurt. And I also knew that only by working it out with God that I'd really be able to get through it. I couldn't just put God on the shelf because I knew that only he would be able to make something beautiful out of something horrible. So where are you in your story? And have you invited God to be in it with you? Our story is probably the most powerful thing that God can use in the lives around us. Just as I said earlier that the greatest innovation was Christ as God incarnate. Him coming to earth. Each of our stories is the gospel incarnate. We may think that our story is not special or pretty, but it is. Because it's yours and therein lies its power. Stories instantly create compelling environments and each of us can do that. Whether it be over coffee, dinner, or even over the fence like Wilson and Tim. For those of you who remember that. I do it all the time in bars. People see the story being lived out in you even when we are not perfect. Even when we screw up. That is one part of my story that God has taught me. God can use and redeem my junk in the lives of others if I let him. We just have to open our lives to him and let him begin to dig that out of us. And here's why innovation is so important to me. I am a preacher's kid and have been in every sense of the word. If you didn't know that, or if you cannot tell. My dad currently pastors a Baptist church in Lake Charles, Louisiana, where I grew up. Now, I came to know Christ when I was seven years old, went public with my faith, and was baptized. The church my dad was pastoring was a very typical Baptist church for that time, you know, in the early 80s. We had a piano, an organ, we had a choir with robes and everything. We sang hymns from a hymnal, no projectors. Men wore suits and women wore dresses. And when... We had church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And they're all different. The lighting was bad. But in spite of all that, people were coming to Christ. God was doing amazing things in this church. Many of you found Christ in similar environments. 
Now, as I entered into middle school and high school, I became distracted by lots, all kinds of things and went down a dark path and began to feel that I hated God, I hated my family, I especially hated church. I felt it was all empty and fake. And then after spending three months in a psychiatric hospital, being treated for drug abuse, depression, suicidal tendencies, I had to figure out what I believed in because I had no clue. As I rebuilt my faith, and you know, at first I was, I was like, okay, I'm okay with God. Okay, I can deal with that, you know, higher power thing, 12-step, all of that. Got that. Uh, but then he, okay, he has a Bible, and the Bible says there's Jesus. Okay, I'll do that, but no church. I drew a line there. Because I've seen how churches had treated my family. And one had nothing, had wanted nothing to do with them. Much like Derry, a few weeks ago, we talked about him. I go, he had kind of the similar experience. But then I realized that I wasn't getting up. God puts a lot of faith in church, in us. That's his plan. And if I'm going to be part of his plan, it involves you, us, together. I realized that my walk with Christ was going to be very different from what most people, most Christians look like. And I was okay with that. Then it hit me that I become so disillusioned with God and faith in the church because the environment, music, and mediums were so completely disconnected from what anything in the culture that I lived in except for church. It was the religious forms of man that were empty, not the gospel, not faith. And definitely not God. But since then, I've always strived to let God break through all the stuff that we want to pile on him to cover him up. But we have to take that away. And I, de I, I deconstruct things. Okay, what's the, what's the shortest point for someone to go from just being out there and on the edge of just holding on, just surviving, and then becoming and meeting Jesus. What's the shortest distance? And we're going to got to remove those hurdles because the stakes are so high. Because I don't want anyone to be at the edge like that. Because I know what it, feels like, what it feels like to be dead inside. And I don't want anyone. I want them to, see, to have the life of Christ in them. The stakes are very high. And it's not always comfortable to share your weakness with others. But that's where God's real power is. Because where he's weak, where we're weak, he is strong. And he can glory in our weakness. That is his innovation. He banked the salvation of the world on screwed up people like us whom he could redeem. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I look around the peop at the people that I serve with, whether on staff, in the band, on the tech team, and I'm amazed at the group of people that God has brought together because we got some talent here, folks, and I'm not talking about me. I'm humbled to serve beside Brandon, who is so talented. Now, I've been around a lot of worship leaders 
in my life, because remember, I'm the preacher's kid. My, we moved every, all the time. And he is the hardest working, most responsible worship leader I've ever met in my life. And I've watched over the last few years, God do amazing things in him. But he just, and it's not, I mean, it's all around. The tech team in the back, Russ back there who is being me because I'm here. You know, we baptized him a few months ago and he's growing and, you know, Sue and Whitney and the other Sam back there and uh, Cole and Brian's daughters on camera. And, you know, all these people, amazing. And I'm thinking, I think, wow, what if these people didn't walk in the good works that God had prepared for them? And then comes the next thing. What about when I'm not walking in what God has called me to? It hurts our team. I'm failing them. My failure is our failure. And so... It's ours. So what has God prepared for you? What is he calling you into? Because that's his innovation. How is he mobilizing you? If you could set your things aside, bow your head. I want want you to spend a few minutes asking God where you are in your story. Do you even have a story with God? Or do you need to begin one? Do you need, have you invited him in to your story to allow him to redeem that? Meditate on that for just a few minutes. I'll come back. have a story with God or if you're not sure it's very easy to start on that path you just ask him you can pray something like Father I know you love me I don't deserve that love but I want to accept your love and to invite you into my life to be the leader of my life please help me become who you made me to be simple you just ask him to come in and he will with everyone's head still bowed if you are ready to do that or if if you've prayed that just then you decided to invite God into your story would you let me know by just lifting your hand up just leave it and catch, catch my eye. Let's see you. Thank you. Father, we're grateful that you allow us to participate in your story. And I pray that everyone here plays a part 
And those who have decided to do that just now, to, 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 to step out and, and be part of that story and inviting you into their story, I pray that you would, they would become strong in you and you would show them, begin digging out and redeeming them. Father, we thank you that you are a God who redeems. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.